Take your Bibles and go to the book of Amos. So we've been in Hebrews for a long time. We finally finished that up last week. And we're going to the book of Amos. And we're going to make Amos famous tonight. I meant to go, I was going to go to Walmart and buy a bunch of famous Amos cookies and give them out tonight. Uh, we'll, do, we'll do that one of the weeks. Maybe we do that every week just in case anybody gets bored with Amos. That'll give people something to get excited about. Uh, but uh, yeah, anyway, so we have Jonah, Micah, Nahum, our. Uh, or Joel Amos, I'm getting my, I'm trying to get the books of the Bible order right. Uh, Joel Amos, Obadiah, if you don't know where the book of Amos is. But tonight we're going to go through chapter 1, and then kind of what we're going to do tonight. Now this, this is really important what I want to try to get across to you tonight, okay? We're not even going to spend so much time just delving deep into what we learn in Amos chapter 1. It's pretty straightforward what's mentioned there. But there are some things that you need to understand about the Bible and how it's laid out, and that will, I, I think, hopefully this will really help you when you're reading through your Bible and just understanding what you're reading, the order of things, and most people, they often get mixed up in the major and minor prophets because they don't understand where they're at in Israel's timeline, and you need, it's important that you understand where you're at in the timeline, otherwise you're going to get really mixed up on some things, not understand what's going on. But let's go ahead. I'm just going to read the whole chapter to, to kick things off. Amos chapter 1 and verse 1 says, The words of Amos, who was among the herdmen of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. And he said, The Lord will roar from Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem, and the habitations of the shepherds shall mourn, and the top of Carmel shall wither. Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Damascus, and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they have threshed Gilead with threshing instruments of iron. But I will send a fire into the house of Hazael, which shall devour the palaces of Ben-Hadad, and I will break also the bar of Damascus, and cut off the inhabitant from the plain of Avon, and him that holdeth the scepter from the house of Eden, and the people of Syria shall go into captivity, unto curse, saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Gaza, and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they carried away the captive, the whole captivity, to deliver them up to Edom. But I will send a fire on the wall of Gaza, which shall devour the palaces thereof, and I will cut off the inhabitant from Ashdod, and him that holdeth the scepter from Ashkelon, and I will turn mine hand against Ekron, and the remnant of the Philistines shall perish, saith the Lord God. Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Tyrus, and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they delivered up the whole captivity to Edom, and remembered not the brotherly covenant. But I will send a fire on the wall of Tyrus, which shall devour the palaces thereof. Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Edom, and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because he did pursue his brother with the sword, and did cast off all pity, and his anger did tear perpetually, and he kept his wrath forever. But I will send a fire upon Teman, which shall devour the palaces of Basra. Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of the children of Ammon, and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they have ripped up the women with the child of Gilead, that they might enlarge their border. But I will kindle a fire on the wall of Ramah, and it shall devour the palaces thereof with shouting in the day of battle, with the tempest in the day of the whirlwind, and their king shall go into captivity. He and his princes together saith the Lord. All right, so now we're going to, I'm going to stop reading right there. Now let's just be honest for a few minutes. You know, who gets lost when reading a chapter like that? 
All right. I mean, you're reading it. You're hearing all these names of all these cities. And like, what's he talking about? You know, what's going on? And, when, and what happens when we get into some of these minor prophets, it's real easy for us to just kind of just gloss over it, not realizing the significance of what's going on because we don't understand where they're at in their history. And it's very important that we, un- that we understand this. And so just to kind of kick things off before we kind of get into where we are on the timeline, first off, you know, so who is Amos? Okay. Who is Amos? We'll look at chapter 7 of Amos. Chapter 7 and verse 14. Of course, we know he's a prophet. He's the one who wrote this book. But it says, Then answered Amos and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, neither was I a prophet's son, but I was an herdman and a gatherer of sycamore fruit. And the Lord took me as I followed the flock, and the Lord said unto me, Go prophesy unto my people Israel. So we see that Amos, he's just an, he was just an ordinary guy. He wasn't the son of a prophet. You know, he was a herdman. He was a shepherd. You know, he gathered sycamore fruit. But God called him. God told him, hey, I've got a prophesy. Uh, I've got a prophecy for you. I want you to go and I want you to give this prophecy to Israel. So, you know, Amos, he, he really is no major character. You know, he's what we would look at as almost a nobody. But you know what? God used him to give this prophecy. And we're going to see later... Uh, you know, I, I believe, you know, obviously, you know, I believe every book that's in the Old Testament is there for a reason. I believe it's the Word of God. God wanted it there. But one of the things that you can always see with these, uh, most of these books in the Old Testament is they're quoted in the New Testament. And I can't wait till we get to the chapter where Amos was quoted in the New Testament. There's a verse in, in uh, one of the chapters in here, but that's, that's I think, I think so, it might be the last chapter. It's almost toward the end, but there's some really good stuff there. Uh, but we're going to have to hold off before we get to that. So, Amos, so when was his ministry? All right. So, and this is hard too because most of us, you know, we don't understand, you know, the history and timelines, but according to history, according to, you know, and, and excuse me for referring to some of these things, all right, but, you know, I don't know. I don't know where they get all this from, but according to Reese Chronological Bible, this would have been 764 BC when, uh, when this was written. So, according to history, and according to where they were in the timeline, this is only about 12 years before Assyria came and took over Israel and conquered Israel. So understand, God's given them these prophecies at a very crucial time. It's not many years before Assyria comes and pretty much starts taking over the world. Assyria is just is only a few years away from becoming a world power. And what's ha- and part of what's happening here, you'll notice he mentions several cities. He's prophesying destruction on several cities. And, and sure enough, that's exactly what happened not, that many, not many years later when Assyria came through. And if you remember, they conquered Israel. So I don't want to get ahead of myself here. So it's important that we just kind of, let's just do a little refresher course. Right? I'm going to assume that everybody in here knows nothing about Bible history. All right? But, okay, so take, you know, when you look at your Bible... Look, look at Genesis, all right, or go, go to the, page, the first page in your Bible, all right? Go to the beginning of your Bible where it shows the books of the Bible, okay? Go there. I want you to look at that. And kind of, in, in the way, the books of the Bible are kind of in chronological order, all right? The stories aren't necessarily laid out chronologically or anything like that. But, uh, but you have Genesis, of course, where as at the story of Adam, Noah and the flood, Abraham and all that. Then you got Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. 
those are the books about Moses and talk about the children of Israel coming out of the land of Egypt. Joshua is where they crossed over Jordan. And they're going into the promised land, trying to conquer the promised land. Judges, this is after they're in the promised land. This is after Joshua's uh, dead and gone. And God is using judges during that time to kind of run things in Israel. And of course, they're fighting a lot of battles. And you know those stories. Israel's always getting in trouble. But then they would call out to God. God would send them a judge that would deliver them. And then Ruth, it's kind of a random story that takes place during the time of the judges. And then you've got First and Second Samuel, which is basically the transition from the time of Judges to the time of Kings. First and Second Samuel is pretty much all about Saul, who was king for 40 years, and David, who was king for 40 years. Okay? So in First and Second Samuel, it's pretty much showing the transition from the time of Judges to the time of Kings. Then when we get into First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, okay, if you've ever read through the Bible... You'll notice when you read through First and Second Kings, and then you read through First and Second Chronicles, you read a lot of the same stories, don't you? Okay? Now, why is that? Well, the reason for that is because you know the Book of Kings, First and Second Kings, it's mainly focusing on the Northern Kingdom. Okay, because if you remember, when we get into Kings, we've got Solomon is the first king that, that it mostly focuses on, but Solomon loved many strange women. And because of David, God did, decided not to split the kingdom during Solomon's time. He ended up doing it during his son Rehoboam's time. And God split the kingdom, and you had the northern tribes, which were known as the kingdom of Israel. And then you had the southern tribes, Judah and Benjamin. Of course, the Levites were there. They were the southern kingdom or the kingdom of Judah. So when you're reading through First and Second Kings... It can get confusing sometimes because you're like, all right, you got to pay attention. Is this about the kingdom of Israel or the kingdom of Judah? Okay. And then, of course, the kingdom of Judah, that's where Jerusalem is. It's like, well, Jerusalem's in Israel. Well, yeah, it's in that country. But understand, the kingdom was divided during that time. And so, first and second kings, it goes all the way until the captivity, not of the northern kingdom, but the southern kingdom that happened many years later. The northern kingdom got taken captive over a hundred years before the southern kingdom did. The southern kingdom was going to get taken captive too, but you know they had some revivals. They got right with God, and God stalled it off. And it wasn't until over a hundred years later when the Babylonians came into power, when Nebuchadnezzar came to power, and then they came through, and then they conquered the world, and then they conquered Judah as well. Okay, so you need to understand. So in the first and second Chronicles, same thing. It goes all the way into the captivity of Judah during the time of Nebuchadnezzar. And go, go ahead and turn to Second Chronicles chapter 36. And you need to get this, alright? I hope I'm not losing everybody here, alright? But you, you need to get this when you're reading your Bible, okay? Because when we get to Second Chronicles, it does, a, it does a pretty big jump in time in, in many ways, okay? So look at chapter 36... And we'll start reading in verse, uh, let's start in verse 17. It says, Therefore he brought upon them the king of the Chaldeans, who slew their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary, and had no compassion upon young man or maiden, old man or him that stooped for age. He gave them all into his hand, and all the vessels of the house of God, great and small, 
and the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king and of the princes, all these he brought to Babylon, and they burnt the house of God, and break down the wall of Jerusalem, and burnt down all the palaces thereof with fire, and destroyed all the goodly vessels thereof. And them that had escaped from the sword carried he away to Babylon, where they were servants to him and his sons, until the reign of the kingdom of Persia, to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, until the land had enjoyed her Sabbath. For as long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill three score and ten years. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord had spoken by the mouth of Jeremiah might be accomplished, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, and he made a proclamation throughout all the kingdom and put it also in writing, saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, All the kingdoms of the earth hath the Lord God of heaven given me, and he hath charged me to build him an house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is there among you of all the people? The Lord his God be with him and let him go up. There was a, notice there was a 70 year jump right there. Now, this chapter here, chapter 36, said a lot of what we read later on in your minor prophets. A lot of this stuff, it took place around this time. Okay. So, right here, that chapter I just read, this is actually over a hundred years after the book of Amos. Because, see, we get confused sometimes when you read straight through the Bible. This is why I read through the Chronological Bible every other year. It kind of helps me with that. Because, so Second Chronicles, it does a big jump in time. Because they were in Babylon for 70 years. And it mentions the king of Persia. He told them to go back and build the temple. Well, Ezra and Nehemiah is basically a much more detailed story of what we see there in chapter 36. And it talks about him going back and uh, rebuilding the walls, rebuilding the temple. Nehemiah covers the same thing. And then Esther is just kind of another random story you know, during that time when they were in captivity and stuff. So when we get to the end of you know, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther, that really, that is the end of history uh, that we see of Israel until Jesus shows up, until we get to the New Testament. Now, some of those minor prophets were written after that, but most of it, it was written around that, that time, during that pretty crucial time. But many of these minor prophets, okay, and I, I'm not going to mention which ones because I, I don't know all of them off the top of my head, but Amos is one of them. Amos is a prophet that's prophesying to Israel, the northern kingdom, who's going to be taken captive years and years before the southern kingdom does. So when you're reading the book of Amos, you know, I've I've looked it up, I forgot what chapter it was, but, you know, you're kind of in the middle of 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles when this takes place. And it's important you understand that because in those stories we see stories of the king of Assyria and Sennacherib coming after them. You know what all that was? That was Amos being fulfilled. The prophecies of Amos were being fulfilled during that time. So it's easy, but the thing is, the problem that happens sometimes, we do, we'll go read through those, straight through those books. So you read Second Chronicles, well then, you read Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah. We're reading all these books. By the time you get to Amos, you have no idea where you're at in the timeline, do you? Unless you just pay really close attention and you'll notice exactly when Amos was there. It was during the time of King Uzziah. 
who was king in the southern kingdom, or sometimes known as Amaziah, or on the northern kingdom, it was Jeroboam. But it was not the first Jeroboam, it was the second Jeroboam, who was probably the most wicked king, maybe second only to Ahab. And um, just a, a very wicked king. So that, that tells you when that time is. When you go back and you're reading about the second Jeroboam, when you're reading about Uzziah, you know, this is the time that Amos lived. This is when Amos gave his prophecy of a well-known passage in Isaiah, for example, okay? Uh, I think it was Isaiah chapter 6, you know, the story where he saw the Lord high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. Well, it says in there, it was in the year that King Uzziah died when that happened. So we know that Amos is actually before Isaiah in the timeline. So, I'm telling you all this because if you're going to fully grasp what all is being talked about here in the book of Amos, you've got to understand where he's at. You've got to understand what's going on. Israel is wicked. This is during the time of one of the most wicked kings that they ever had. And God is using, he's using Amos to prophesy to Israel, and not even just to Israel, but to many of the surrounding countries about judgment that's coming. And so, um, let's look at, um, well, first off, you know, God, so one of the things that we see here, while this, while God was going to use the Assyrians, basically, to uh, come after them, that was going to take over them and punish them, a thing that we've got to realize, too, that's important, and we don't have time to go back and look at all these stories, but if you look at all these uh, cities that are mentioned, okay, Damascus is mentioned. I want to talk about Damascus because they're kind of in the news right now. And people are, I, I, I read a thing today, somebody used a verse from Amos that we're going to be covering. People are trying to act like what's happening in Syria right now, which is where Damascus is, is fulfillment of Bible prophecy. Watch out for that. I, I'm, going to show you, I'm going to show you that's a bunch of garbage. But basically, Amos, though, he's pronouncing judgments on many different cities. Okay, and notice what it says. Look at um, verse 3. Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Damascus, and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they have threshed Gilead with threshing instruments of iron. Okay, what does that mean for three transgressions and for four? All right, what, what does that mean? That's kind of a little different wording there. Well, if you look at Job chapter 5, verse 19... They use similar language here. It says, He shall deliver thee in six troubles, yea, in seven there shall no, no evil touch thee. Basically, that's just kind of a fancy way of saying, you know what, they didn't just do three things, which would be enough. Three strikes are out. They did four. Okay? He's saying, hey, I'm going to judge them for three, not just three transgressions, no, but for four. Okay? These cities that God was going to be judging, they had it coming. And I wish we had, if you do a study on all these cities that are mentioned, if you go back in Israel's history, if you go back in Judges and even in uh, Exodus or Deuteronomy, you will see story after story where these people did evil to Israel, didn't they? They did one thing after another evil. They were constantly fighting God's people. They were hurting God's people. And we see here, Amos is basically pronouncing judgment on the enemies of Israel because of all the things that they had done to Israel. And so this is, this is huge. This is a major fulfillment of prophecy. See, we don't, a lot of times we do, we just kind of gloss over these things. But it's like, you know, what about Damascus? You know, what about the Philistines? Look at all the things that they did to them. Well, you know what? God finished them with the Assyrians. 
The Assyrians, when they came through, they didn't just take over Israel. They took over all these cities around them. They became a world power during that time. And when we, this Amos here is basically prophesying the end of the story for many people who are enemies of Israel throughout the Bible. And it's easy to kind of look back at some of those stories. And if you start thinking, man, look at what those people did to Israel. Kind of looks like they got away with it. No, they didn't. God took care of them with the Assyrians, didn't he? And that's exactly what Amos is prophesying here. This is kind of the end of the story. Say, well, where are those stories in the Bible? Well, the Bible doesn't record, you know, what happened in every city where these things took place. But we do see in the Bible that Assyria became a world power. And later the Chaldeans came along. They became a world power. That they defeated all these people. So we know these prophecies were fulfilled. But the Bible mainly focuses on Israel. Okay? The Bible didn't have time to put down everything that happened in every country, in every city. We would have a huge book. But understand, Amos is mentioning these things. He's prophesying these things to Israel because you, could kind of, you, know, you can kind of say that this time that they were about to enter into is just kind of a time of reckoning. One of the reasons that Israel was always getting in trouble, they weren't trusting in the Lord. They weren't waiting on God. And it's like God sending Amos to tell them, guess what? I am now ready to deal with these, na these nations. I'm ready to deal with these cities. These things that they did wrong to you, I am coming to deal with them. Oh, but guess what? Because you were wicked too, because you followed after their gods, because you committed the same sins that they sinned, you're in trouble too. You're getting the same thing that they're getting. And that's a great lesson for us to learn right there. And so, you know... Um, so, you know, these, the main cities that he pronounced his judgment on was Damascus, Gaza, Tyrus, Edom, and Ammon. So all these, these are, these are cities you can go back and you can read in the history. They did things to Israel, and so God's going to deal with them. God's, he's, Amos is telling Israel all this. You know, why doesn't he go and tell these other cities this? Well, they probably heard about it. They probably found out about it. But I think God wanted Israel to know that, hey, I'm, I'm about ready to deal with your enemies. Truth is, they should have just followed God. If they would have followed God, if they'd have been submissive to Him and obeyed Him and trusted Him, God wouldn't have. You know, or God would have just defeated their enemies, but instead now they're going to be taken captive too. Because they did not follow the Lord. But Damascus, let's focus on Damascus for a little bit, okay? Because our government really wants us to go to war with Syria right now, which is where Damascus is at. And so notice Damascus was mentioned in there. I read a thing online today. Somebody went to Isaiah chapter 17 and verse 1. And you know what? This is not the first time that people have been going up. Every time Syria or Damascus is in the news, everybody goes to these prophecies. The first time I saw this, it was not, I think it was in 2011. It was not long after we started the church. If I remember right, I didn't have my head screwed on quite straight yet when it came to Israel. But I remember I was watching this, it was some Christian thing, and they were like interviewing these rabbis who were telling them about these prophecies about Damascus that hadn't been fulfilled yet. And, and all these Christians are getting all excited, man. This, you know, this could be it. You know, this could be it. This is, this, things are happening. You know, the Lord's about to return. And, I, and remember, I was, still, I, said my, I was still a little goofed up with Israel at the time, but I remember thinking, why are Christians always going to rabbis to understand Old Testament prophecy they didn't even, couldn't even figure out who the Messiah is. You know, and that's a really good question. 
Uh, that's a really good question. I would like one of these Zionist preachers to ask me why they would listen to a rabbi when it comes to Bible Old Testament prophecy when they can't even see that Jesus was the Messiah. That's a very good question. I would love to get an answer for that. But verse 1, The burden of Damascus, behold, Damascus is taken away from being a city, and it shall be a ruinous heap. That hasn't happened yet. That's to come. That might be about to happen. You know, Trump's going to, he's going you know, to nuke Damascus, and prophecy is going to be fulfilled. You know, the rapture is going to come, and all that kind of stuff. Jer- uh, look at Jeremiah chapter 49 and verse 23. This is another, this is another verse that's going around right now. Circulate in the internet world. It says, Concerning Damascus, Hamath is confounded in Arpad, for they have heard evil tidings. They are faint-hearted. There is no sorrow in the sea. It cannot be quiet. Damascus is waxed feeble and turneth herself to flee. And fear has seized on her. Anguish and sorrow have taken her as a woman in travail. How is the city of praise not left? The city of my joy. Therefore, her young men shall fall in her streets, and all the men of war shall be cut off in that day, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will kindle a fire in the wall of Damascus, and it shall consume the palaces of Ben-Hadad. So right there, they said that's another one that's to come, that's to be fulfilled. But understand, and I am not an expert when it comes to when every city got their comeuppance, alright? I'm not an expert when it comes to every prophecy that's been fulfilled and that has not been fulfilled. But understand that Amos was not the only one to pronounce things against Damascus and Syria. You see a lot against Edom. The book of Ezekiel has a lot of these prophecies too. But understand, I believe most of these prophecies that we see in the major and minor prophets, they were fulfilled already in the Old Testament. They were fulfilled when the Syrians came through, or in that case with Damascus, probably when the Chaldeans came through. And you say, well, no, it says that day. I was talking about the day of the Lord. Okay, well... I do believe there are some Old Testament prophecies or some things that have not been completely fulfilled yet and completely dealt with yet, but it's real easy to figure out that those things will be fulfilled in the millennium or, you know, after Armageddon. Okay? There is nothing, I don't think, we do not need to wait for any city to go down or anything like that. All this stuff is, they just use these things too because it will encourage Christians to support war. All they got to do is get some rabbi to tell Christian Damascus has to be destroyed. And then get some dispensationalist. Yep, Damascus got to be destroyed before Jesus comes back. Trump starts talking about nuclear war or something. Christians, do it. You know, that thing is going to get us out of here. But, you know, that's, that's, not, that's not how that is. That's not how it works. I believe Damascus, they already got theirs. If there's anything left for them to get, it will happen, you know, when Jesus comes back. He'll take care of those things then. He'll fulfill those things then. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on that, but just don't get caught up into this stuff. Don't get caught up in this Syrian stupidity. This is ridiculous. It's a joke. It's a false flag. There's people out there that want us in war all the time. That's another subject for another day. But don't let people use those prophecies about Damascus in the Bible to convince you something is about to happen. And you know what, the next time one of these people do, because 100% of these people too, 100% of Baptists that would get up in a pulpit and use this Damascus situation to prove that something prophetic is about to happen, 100% of them are going to be pre-trib people. 100% of them. And you know what? If the next event on God's prophetic calendar is the rapture, then why would, we be, why would the Bible teach that something's got to happen with Damascus first? If something has to happen with Damascus first, 
then that's got to be the next event on God's prophetic calendar. And you know what? I saw a website today where it said that the destruction of Damascus was the next event on God's prophetic calendar. And I thought, you, you've got to be kidding me. You know? <laughs> but they, do, they, they say those things all the time. It's just foolishness. It's just stupidity. And if Damascus being destroyed comes before the rapture, then how are these people t- t- able to teach that Paul and Peter taught an imminent rapture? You know, these people really need to start thinking through their theories. They, and they don't do it. They just say things and it sounds good and they get a lot of amens. But don't fall for that stuff. So all these cities that are mentioned, you know, they, they had all been enemies of Israel for the, through the centuries. And Amos, it said Amos isn't the only one to pronounce judgment on these cities. And it's real easy when you go back and read in Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, when they're, you're reading all these prophecies and you're just like, what is this about? It's warning them because of the fact that judgment was about to come on these cities. They say, well, why did it matter? It wasn't Israel. Israel needed to know because God had promised that he was going to deal with these cities. This is showing that God was about to keep his promises in dealing with all these, all these wicked cities. And so, you know, this was significant stuff. You say, this is boring. But no, all this stuff is, it's proof that God keeps his promises. And that's important for us to understand because of the fact it took a long time. It took hundreds of years in many cases for God to deal with these things. And we need to remember that because it's like we think because God hasn't done anything to America yet, after all the abortions we've committed, that nothing's going to happen. No, something's going to happen. We see all the wickedness. We see all the immorality that's going on in this country. We think God's not going to do anything about it. Yes, He is. And we better hold out and not get involved in it. We better hold out and not play part in it. Otherwise, we're going to partake of the judgment. We're going to partake of you know the, the, the bad that happens there. I would like to not take part in those things. I would like to not have part in that judgment. So I'm going to do everything I can to separate myself from those things. Because God keeps His promises. No matter how long we have to wait, it might seem like a long time. God doesn't do things in our time, but God deals with things. And I promise you, when the Assyrians came through, that Israel wished they'd obeyed God. Israel wished they had done what they were supposed to do. hundred and some years later, when the Chaldeans came through, Judah was wishing they had served God. Judah was wishing they had been obedient to the cause of Christ. But unfortunately, by then, it was too late. And these, these prophecies and the history of what we see happening here, this is all so significant because when these nations came through, it was proof that God keeps His promises. God was going to deal with the enemies of Israel. But now, unfortunately, because Israel couldn't hold out because they weren't faithful, they didn't obey God, now they're participating in the judgment. They're suffering like the rest of the world. And so, uh, you know, it, you know, it's been, we... It, it is, it's so easy to just gloss over these chapters because they, they appear vague, they appear difficult to understand. But it's just God saying, I'm dealing with these people. And they had it coming. And so whenever you go back to and you're reading these stories in the Old Testament about all the horrible things these nations did, about some of the terrible things they did to Israel, these passages are the reminder that God never forgot about it and God dealt with them. And that should be a great warning to all of us. So, what are we to learn from this? Well, the prophecies of their destruction that were fulfilled, you know, it, it was them getting payback for all the things they had done to God's people in centuries past. And you know, a simple study of all these cities is, is a reminder that God always deals with the wicked. But 
And then us, it's a reminder us, because we're often tempted to compromise and join with the wicked. Turn over to Psalms chapter 73. But you listen, when we decide we're not going to fight, when we decide we're just going to wimp out, it's always going to come back to haunt us. Always. You will always regret it. It all, you know, many times it seems like the easier thing to do is just surrender, to give up and give in, but you'll always regret it. Well, and I, I'm not going to take time to read this whole chapter, but I, I like to hit a few highlights in it. It says, Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no bands in their death. But their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men. Neither are they plagued like other men. Their pride compasseth them about as a chain. Violence cover them as a garment. Has anybody ever looked at the wicked and thought it looks like everything's going good for them? Have you ever looked at yourselves like, I'm doing everything right. It seems like everything's going bad for me. Hey, am I the only one that's ever felt that way before? I think we've all been there. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than heart could wish. They are corrupt and speak wickedly. Concerning oppression, they speak loftily. I'm thinking of Hollywood. I'm thinking of our politicians. I'm thinking of the elites in this country. It seems like they've got it all. They get to run their mouth. They get all the fame. Everybody worships them. Seems like that's the way to go. Their mouth is set against the heavens and their tongue walketh through the earth. Therefore, his people return hither as waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. And they say, how does God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? But these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Verily I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. If I say I will speak this, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. Until I went to the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. We see throughout the Bible, we're supposed to think of the end of the thing. The end of a thing is better than the beginning. You say, well, man, these people are having a, you know, they're having a great beginning. It seems like they're having a great in-between. Yeah, but they're going to have a terrible end. These people are going to die and they're going to go to hell. Okay, We need to keep those things in mind. We've got a better end. We need to be like those we looked at in Hebrews chapter 11, you know, that they were willing to die you know, so they might obtain a better resurrection. They were thinking about the end of the story. But the world today, the lost, they're always thinking about right now. And that's why they do the things that they do. He says, Surely thou didst set them in slippery places, thou castest them down into destruction. And he's like, you know, why doesn't God deal with these people? Why doesn't God knock these people, you know, flat on their face? You know why? Because a lot of these people are reprobate. And if they were to get knocked down flat on their face, or if they were to get knocked down flat on their back, let's say they've only got one direction, that's to look up. Well, guess what happens if they look up? They're probably going to call on the Lord. God doesn't want them to call on Him. You know why? God, and God leaves them in that place. You know why? Because it's a slippery place. And it's a place where they will eventually end up dying and going to hell. Thank God for those of us who He did knock us on our backs. And we were able to look up. And we were able to get right. And you know, being on our back, it was a terrible place. It's something that none of them would ever want. But we got saved. We got right with God. God's able to bless us on this earth. And even if we don't get that many blessings in this earth, we've got heaven to look forward to. We're going to be ones that are going to inherit the earth. They are going to go to hell. Those elitists are going to go to hell. And so, this, this is a reminder. These prophecies in Amos, it is, it's, it's, all, it's all coming. 
what God had promised. God had promised that He was going to deal with their enemies. But Israel, they were constantly doubting God. And then here God comes along. He raises up the Assyrians so they could come through and they could defeat these people. But, you know what? God's a just God. How can God judge Edom and Damascus and all these other places and the Philistines? How can God judge all these other people for all their idolatry and all the wicked things they did when Israel did all the same things? God had to deal with Israel too. And so he, he raised up the Assyrians. And so in the book of Amos, we see Israel and Judah. Uh, uh, Judah later is going to have judgment pronounced on them. But Israel's was going to come very soon. Israel's was very close while Judah's, you know, they kind of heeded the warning. And God stalled off that judgment because they had, they had a revival. And that's something to think about too. You know what? How about we not give up? How about we stop being like a lot of churches today and just sitting around twiddling our thumbs waiting for the rapture to come? And why don't we try to make a difference? Why don't we get right with God? Why don't we do the things we're supposed to do? That way, maybe judgment will get stalled off for us. And maybe we, you know, we can see some great things in our life. Look at, turn over to Habakkuk. But what God is doing right here, turn to the book of Habakkuk. I don't even know if I'm saying that right. I want to show you something in here because this is what God's doing right now. What, or what God was basically, what God's telling them He's going to do here, we're kind of kind of see how God works. Okay, you know, why did God use the Assyrians like that? Well, look what it says in Habakkuk chapter one. It says the burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see: O Lord, how long shall I cry and thou wilt not hear? Even cry out unto thee of violence and thou wilt not save. Why dost thou show me iniquity and cause me to behold grievance? For spoiling and violence are before me, and there are that raise up strife and contention. Therefore the law is slack, and judgment doth never go forth. For the wicked doth compass about the righteous. Therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. Okay, you know why God was bringing the Assyrians in? Because of men like Habakkuk. You know what he was praying here? Lord, why are you letting all this wickedness go on? Why are you letting all these bad things happen? And he's speaking specifically about stuff that was going on in Israel. He's saying, Lord, why are you letting this happen? Why are you letting this take place? He's questioning it. Many people have probably prayed that over the years. We've probably prayed that about our own country. Lord, why are you letting all this wickedness go on? And you know what? I think that's a just prayer. I think that's a righteous prayer. But you know what? A warning. All right. Here, here's a little warning for you. So that's, that's what Habakkuk's doing right now. He's asking God, Lord, why aren't you doing something? Well, God basically gets ready to tell him here, well, you know what? I am doing something. Look what it says in verse 5. It says, Behold ye among the heathen, look out among the heathen, and regard and wonder marvelously, for I will work a work in your days, which ye will not believe, though it be told you. You, you wouldn't even believe it. Somebody else told you what I'm going to do, you wouldn't even believe it. For lo, I raise up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, which shall march through the breadth of the land to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their iniquity shall proceed of themselves. Their horses also are swifter than the leopards and are more fierce than the evening wolves. And their horsemen shall spread themselves and their horsemen shall come from far. They shall fly as the eagle that hasteth to eat. They shall come... All for violence, their faces shall stuff up as the east wind, and they shall gather the captivity as the sand, and they shall scoff at the kings, and the princes shall be a scorn unto them, and they shall deride every stronghold, for they shall heap dust and take it. 
Then shall his mind change, and he shall pass over and offend, imputing this power unto uh, uh, his God. So right here, and I, I've been saying Israel, Judah. What I mean, I get, I get, them, I get them mixed up. So this is, so this is later. Okay, this is later after Amos. You have Habakkuk looking at Judah at the wickedness that's going on. Lord, when are you going to deal with this? And God says, I'm going to deal with it. I've raised up the Chaldeans. The Chaldeans are going to come, and he basically he tells them what they're going to do. And it's horrible what they're going to do. And notice Habakkuk, after he finds out what God was going to do, first he's thinking, God, you're not doing anything. Lord, why don't you do something? God said, I'm doing something. i got something in the works. Let me tell you what I'm doing. Let me tell you what's coming. And then in verse 12, Habakkuk, Art thou not from everlasting, O Lord my God, mine holy one? We shall not die. O Lord, thou hast ordained them for judgment. O mighty God, thou hast established them for correction. Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil, and canst not look upon iniquity. Wherefore lookest thou upon them that deal treacherously, and holdest thy tongue when the wicked devoureth a man that is more righteous than he? You know what, you know what he's saying right here? He's saying, Lord, you know, you're better than that. Lord, don't let these people do what you said, but wait, you were just asking for judgment. He's saying, I'm sending judgment. And he's like, no, don't do that. Because the Chaldeans, they're more wicked than we are. You know, Lord, don't let them be the ones to judge us. But you know what? God uses heathen nations. Okay? Yeah. Let me say this again. God uses heathen nations to deal with the wicked. Yes, sir. You know what? If Syria needs to be dealt with, let God use the heathen nation to do it. And if it's us, if God's in us doing it, we need to ask ourselves, what's, what's wrong? Because that means we're the heathen nation. I don't want to be the heathen nation. You know what? Let Russia deal with it. You know, let some of these other countries deal with it. Not us. Because, you know what we see too? We don't have time to reach all the back. We're going to look at all the history. But, God used the Chaldeans to punish Judah. Okay? But Judah is God's people. So guess what? Since the Chaldeans have hurt Judah, now God's got to send in the Medes and the Persians later to judge them. See how, see how that works? So yeah, there's some wicked nations out there that probably need taken care of. But let God use the heathen to do it. Because you know what? There's a lot of bloodshed when that happens. There's a lot of innocent people that die when those things happen. And then God's got to deal with that. I don't want to be in the receiving end of any judgment. I don't want our country to be in the receiving end of any judgment. So we need to stay out of these things. We need to not get involved. Let God use the heathen. If Assad needs to go, let the heathen take care of him. Let God use them, not us. And then the way Christians, they make all these things into a holy war because we've got to protect Israel. It's, it's, that doesn't even fit Old Testament Scripture. I mean, it's so messed up. It's such delusional thinking. And we've got, to, we've got to get away from that. We've got to stop thinking that. We, have got, we need to get out of the Middle East. Alright? And I'm telling all of you this because, you know, why are you telling us this? We have no saying this. Well, you know, we need to understand these things. So, we know who to vote for. You know, so we know not to encourage this stuff. They make it all sound good. You know, they show us all these, you know, terrible images and things. But, look, these people are heathen. And maybe God is judging them. Yeah, but these are, these are, and God, many times he uses more wicked nations and all that, but 
We just need to say, you know what, we're going to stay out of this thing. God's going to deal with these nations, and God's going to use the heathen to do it. We don't ever see Israel going and righting wrongs in other countries. Okay, When we see them being the aggressors, it was when they were conquering the land that God gave them. Okay, And as Christians, we have no continuing city. Okay, We don't have a city here on this earth, and so for a Christian in any way at all, to make it a spiritual thing for us to attack any country. That is so wrong and it is so messed up in so many ways. And we need to, we need to stay out of that. We should not get all caught up in that stuff. Well, you know, Israel's supposed to get the land, you know, for all these prophecies to be fulfilled. Well, you know what? If any prophecies, if, if they do need to get that land for prophecy to be fulfilled, let God use the heathen nations to help them get it. Let's stay out of it. Let's not send our people over there. Not, let's not waste our tax dollars on that stuff. We need to stay away from that. So the, the, the whole book of Amos, we see, we'll see a lot more of these prophecies. And we might go into in the later weeks into greater detail on what these cities did that made them get this judgment. But I wanted to just kind of do all this to introduce to you. Because basically what we learned from chapter 1 is God is not sleeping. He named off several cities there that judgment is coming for these cities. And it doesn't give all the, you know, and, and he mentioned some of the things that they did. We read through and we read some of the things that specify some of the things they did. But, you know, it wasn't just those things. For three transgressions and for four. Okay? They had done a lot of things throughout history and God is finally dealing with those things. And so that, that's a reminder to us that God keeps his promises. It's a reminder that God's going to deal with the wicked. God is righteous. He's just. He will deal with the wickedness of this world. And if we want to be immune from that, we need to not get caught up in the wickedness of this world. We need to not participate in the wickedness of this world. It's sad how churches say you know, God's people are having all the same problems that the world has. Well, you know why? It's because God's just. God's going to deal with them for sin, and He's going to deal with us for sin. The the pain that comes from sin, it's going to hurt saved people just like it hurts lost people. You know what we need to do? We need to stay out of it. We need to stay away from it. You know, when Amos came prophesying, it should have been an exciting time for Israel. God's coming to deal with your enemies, but no, it wasn't. Because guess what? You're just like your enemies, and God's going to deal with you too. And therefore, it's a, it's a sad prophecy. It ended up being a sad day for them. And you know, I personally I believe if we knew, I think if we knew what was coming for our country, we would be praying for God's judgment and mercy. I think sometimes we, we get a little too quick to go pronouncing judgment and just, you know, Lord, just go ahead and take care of us. Are you sure you want to pray that? Are you sure you want to pray that? I think if we knew how God was going to take care of the wickedness in this country, we'd be praying, Lord, be merciful. Lord, be merciful. And I think, you know, I don't know, I'm, I'm just not a bloodthirsty guy, okay? I understand that, you know, there, there are some things that need to happen. There's people that need to go down and people I want to see go down. But I think most of the time, too, if we knew what was even coming for some people, you think even about some of your own personal enemies in, in your life. I think most of us, if we knew what was coming for them, if we knew what they were going to have to deal with, we'd be saying, whoa, Lord, easy. <laughs> Lighten up. That's kind of how Habakkuk was. But God, there, there's always things in the works. God sees what's going on. 
A day of reckoning is coming. Judgment is coming. Let's not get discouraged. Let's not get sidetracked. Let's not do like Asaph, you know, where we're about to slip, we're about to give up, we're thinking they're winning, they're prospering. No, God's put them in slippery places. They're in a da- they're in a dangerous place. I mean, how, how is that a dangerous place? Everything going good, fame and fortune. You know why? Because it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of an eagle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. They're reprobate. They're, God's going to keep them in a place where they will never get saved. God ought to knock them on their, if you knock them on their back, they're going to call on the Lord. And that's many of us. That's, maybe that's where maybe that's where you were when you called the Lord. It was at a low point in your life. God was merciful to you, and He knocked you down. You looked up. You got right. And so, you know, if you're if you're facing that right now, if you've got temptations, you're thinking about participating stuff, and it's like you know what, it doesn't matter. It doesn't hurt. Yes, it does. Hundreds of years, hundreds of years passed in, the, in some of these stories, but God finally dealt with these nations, and that's what we're reminded of in the book of Amos. So I hope that was a help to you. I hope we'll remember these things. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you keep your promises. And dear God, I pray you'll help us to learn from uh, these these stories. I pray you'll help us to trust you. I pray you'll help us not to be tempted to just give in to the wickedness of this world, but we'll just uh, understand, Lord, that a day's coming, Lord, where you're going to make everything right, and I pray that you'll uh, help us to stay faithful so we don't have to be the rec- on the receiving end of that judgment, and I just pray you'll help us as we continue to go through the book of Amos. I pray you'll learn the things that we're supposed to learn uh, from this book, and in your name we pray. Amen. Let's go ahead.